Okay, well, one thing that you might not know about me or that may seem just like not me at all is that I actually grew up being like a diehard athlete and for someone who does 0% of physical exercise now, it's like shocking that that used to actually be my life. Um, I grew up playing sports, I did year-round sports, I played club, I did all the things. And when I was in high school, I did volleyball and soccer. Those were my two main sports. And for whatever reason, my senior year, I decided instead of soccer, I was going to do track. And I felt like I you know, was kind of naturally athletic, I'd grown up doing sports, and so I had this assumption that my skill set and athleticism would transfer over into track. I don't know if you've ever woken up and decided the very next day to run a marathon, um, but that was how I felt. My first track practice, my senior year, I was so humbled. I got incredibly sick. It is embarrassing to think about how sick I got. And I was quite literally the worst person on the team. And you know, the track team is huge and there are all kind of roles. I was so terrible at it. And I had this expectation that just because I was good at sports in the past that I should be like pretty good at this. Even though I had no foundation of track, I had no training of the specific techniques that I would do. All I brought to the table was my dumb ego and passion, and that was not enough. And so <laughs> I, I shockingly eventually did get fairly good at it, um, but I was also a senior, right? So I was also applying for colleges. I was also president of organizations. Um, I was involved in a ton of different things. I wanted to hang out with my friends, and I wanted to give minimal effort and also be like a crazy record breaker. And so that didn't happen, by the way, <laughs> at all. <laughs> Far from it. But when I graduated, I don't know if any of y'all did sports, but you always do like a end of the year award ceremony type of thing, right? So when I was graduating, I got some award and my coach said to me, man, Haley, I wish you had started your track career sooner because who knows what you could have become. And that haunted me. She meant it as a compliment, like, whoa, you know, you actually did like surprisingly really good for never doing this before in your life in a year. But I took it as, man, like, if I had A, given all of my effort, not just minimal effort, and if I had um, started this career sooner, like, what could I have become? And so I think we do this in our faith. Right? Like we want to give kind of minimal effort, but be on fire for Jesus, or we wait for X, Y, or Z to change in our lives before we decide to go all in with our faith. You know, we think if we pray once a month, then we're going to feel really close to God, or if we show up to church, but we never actually get involved, we never actually join the church family, and then we wonder why we feel isolated in our faith. Or we think we can go to summer camp, and for one week, we are like all in, crazy Jesus people. And then we leave. You all know, right, the spiritual camp high experience where you go to school and you have this idea that all of that goodness is somehow going to translate into the school year and you can just do whatever you want. Or I think we believe that we can read one book of the Bible, get involved in a small group, commit to praying every day, and within like a month, we are going to be completely transformed. 
And so unfortunately for us, we do not live in a society, um, in a culture where every aspect of our lives takes forever, right? Like we get hungry, what do we do? We door dash something. We're bored, we get on TikTok. We wanna learn something, we Google it. If you're someone who like desires connection or you're lonely, there are literally apps to like meet people and hang out within a five mile radius. And so we have become these people who have lost the virtue of patience and instead have become people that, some, that we need something immediately or else we lose interest, right? And so the question becomes like, why is this so dangerous in our faith? Why is desiring instant gratification so dangerous to our faith? If you were here last week, we are going through the book of Malachi. And for context, what this book is, is it picks up this people group called the Israelites about 100 years after they return from exile. So now they are pretty much back to life as normal. Um, they've built the temple, their um, sacrifices and ceremonies have all resumed. And yet these people are feeling really discouraged and really far from God. And so God, through the prophet Malachi, speaks to the Israelites and provides encouragement, but he also calls them out along the way for ways that they are living and existing with injustice and apathy within their community. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Malachi chapter 3. If you don't, it'll be up here on the screen. So we are going to start with chapter 3, verse 7 says, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offering, you are under a curse. Your whole nation, because you are robbing me. So what's happening here, and if you were here last week, we went through three different examples of how God is really calling out the Israelites. This is another example that he is using of a way that they are walking in something other than what he has for them. And this example is tithing. If you don't know what that is, it's an Old Testament commandment where the people were supposed to give up the 10% of something that they earned back to the temple. And this has nothing to do with God like wanting our money. Um, the context of this practice is that there were actually a people group who were the priests, who were the servants, the caretakers of the temple, and part of the tithing went to provide for them. And so when the people decided not to tithe, they are now leaving these priests, these people who were serving the community, dedicating their life to God, kind of stranded. And it also went to keeping the temple you know, upkeep and looking nice. And so without the tithing, all these things were falling through the cracks. And it was also a way to say that you believed that God could do more with that 10% than what you could do if you had a 100% amount of your money. And so it was really a, a showcase of showing that God will provide for you. And so the Israelites are not being obedient because they are focused on this immediate result that they have less money instead of this eternal result of giving God their best. It continues in chapter 3, verse 10, and it says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, 
that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. See if I will not bless, bring so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not drop their fruits before it is ripe. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be the delightful land, says the Lord. And so why is instant gratification dangerous to our faith? What God is doing here is he is revealing the selfishness that is existing under the surface in their lives. We become more selfish. If you are asking yourself, how little can I give to God and it still be okay? Then I am so sorry to call you out. You are not in the right spot. Instead of thinking this mindset of how little can I do, how little effort, little energy can I pour into my faith to where it would still, you know, be okay. People would still think that I am doing good. Instead of thinking that way, what if you asked yourself the question, how could my life be transformed if I gave everything to God? So why is instant gratification dangerous for our faith? One, because we become more selfish and then we also settle for less. If you were here last semester, then I preached like a whole sermon on this and I won't do that now, but I love the story and it is shocking to me how it just like comes up naturally in my faith life and it always means something different to me every time I read it. Um, but I'm gonna pull just a little snippet from Exodus chapter 32. If you've read this, then you know what story this is. There'll be just a tiny snippet, but this is the story of the golden calf. And real brief context here, we're back in time now. The same Israelite people, these are like their ancestor, ancestor, ancestor people. They have just been rescued from slavery in Egypt. They have miraculously followed God on this crazy journey. And at this moment, they are literally at a base of a mountain God, in his fiery presence, is on the mountain talking to Moses, their leader, and God is giving Moses the, the Ten Commandments and all these other laws. And the people literally say, in this moment, while God is like right there, they say, when the people saw that Moses took so long in coming down the mountain, when they saw that Moses took so long coming down the mountain, it like makes me laugh because it's so ridiculous. And what they did is they became so impatient, they wanted something quicker than what they were getting, that they settled for making their own God. It goes on to talk about how they took off their earrings and their jewelry and it melted it down and they formed this golden calf and they decided that is going to be our God that we worship. They knew that that God was something they created, but they settled for less. I think it's easy to look at that story and think, you know, that is kind of crazy. How could you be at literally the base of a mountain as God is right there and settle for something less? But I think we do that in our own lives all the time. I know for me, when I was in college, this was like one of the number one things that I struggled with. I really struggled with trusting God's timing and trusting that what God had for me was better than what I wanted. Um, and I did this a lot in relationships. So instead of doing you know, the work that goes into building healthy connections with people and healthy relationships, or instead of trusting that God's plan would be better for me, 
I would do the easy thing and I would just like fling myself at people. And I settled for just sad, sad people. Nothing against them, but like not the best that was out there. <laughs> people that did not have my best interest in mind and for whatever reason, I wanted that immediate, that immediate connection, that immediate like intimacy, the immediate feeling of feeling known instead of setting this foundation of something that was gonna be actually fruitful. And in the end, I was the one who got, um, you know, hurt from that experience. And so as you're sitting here thinking about this, what areas in your life are you settling? What areas in your life are you settling for something less than what you know God has for you? Why is instant gratification dangerous to our faith? We become selfish, we settle for less, and ultimately we question God's authority and goodness. If you're flipping back to Malachi, chapter 2, verse 17, it says, You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you asked? By saying, All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or you say, where is the God of justice? It goes on in chapter three, it says, you have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You said, it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going out like mourners before the Lord? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to test, to the test, they get away with it. So the Israelites here are accusing God of neglect, and they're asking this question, like, where is the God of justice? Now, at surface level, this is not a bad question at all. If you're in a community where injustice is all around you, and you believe that God's character is a God of justice, it is a totally fair question to be asking, where are you in this? But what's actually happening here is that the Israelites were challenging God because they wanted certain sins that they were doing to be totally okay. But then they wanted the sins that were being done to them to be punished. And so really what you have here is they are not at all trusting God's authority and goodness. When we don't see this immediate change or immediate fruits, instead of looking inward at our own hearts, a lot of times we will jump right to accusing God's character and questioning who he is. So where are you questioning God's authority? Where are you questioning God's goodness? In what ways are you being kind of selfish if you are honest with yourself? And how are you settling in your life? The first verse of chapter three, we see how God responds to the Israelites who are experiencing all these same questions, all these same, same temptations. 
says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. It says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. God responds saying that he is going to send this messenger and send someone that will bring justice. And the specific prophecy in Malachi is because, like we talked about last week, these people are unhappy and they are feeling like the promises that they have been promised in Haggai, and you can read it in Zechariah, in the beginning of this chapter, they feel like they have not experienced them. And so instead of waiting for what they believe to be God's best, they start grumbling and questioning God And yet he still responds by saying, I will send a messenger. And what he's saying is to prepare the way. That it's not this instantaneous thing. That there is preparation to be done and that these people were not ready for it yet. He goes on to say, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. So I will come put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, Perjurers against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice, but do not fear me. So God brings up this concept of refinement. And something I think is super important to note about refinement and what it's talking about here is refinement is meant to clean and purify something, not to destroy it. And so if you think of it this way, our own obedience is not at all the only thing that goes into pushing our lives to be a transformed life. If you're familiar with John chapter 15, it talks about this process of pruning, of pruning the things in our lives that are not creating and bearing fruit. And thank goodness that this process is not dependent on our own obedience. Because just like I talked about last week, the cycle that the Israelites fall into over and over and over and over again, we fall into that same cycle. We are also pretty bad at obeying. In Malachi uh, chapter 3, verse 6, the Lord says, I, the Lord, do not change. God does not change. And so what a comfort it is to know that our refinement sits in the hands of God whose love for us never changes. The Israelites have become 